Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Readier Room, the only longest-running, highest-quality, and deepest Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. We don't only rewatch the shows, but we rethink about them. My name is Mitchell Mells, Chief Consultant Services at Paramount, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. Brandon, how are we doing today on this first day of August? Oh, hey, Mitch. Didn't hear you come in. I'm uh, just finishing up my, my latest piece of Trek fan fiction. Oh, your latest piece of Trek fan fiction, huh? Well, I eagerly await every single one of your releases, um, mm-hmm. like none other. So, boy, am I stoked. Yes. What's this one about? This, this one's about, um, well, the Enterprise runs into, um, he's he's my newest uh, original character. Huh. Um I guess I'd call him, I don't know, mischievous, irreverent. Mm, mm, mm. I think the word that would best describe him is rogue. Okay, he's roguish? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. dashing. Right, so he's kind of like a uh, deep red. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, uh, the the crew of the Enterprise um, basically gets down on their knees one by one to suck him off the entire time. Oh, so this is a, an erotic. Uh, it is. It is. Um, now, is, is this the Enterprise C? It's the Enterprise E. Okay. What is? Which is, is an alternate the, universe. Does the E stand for Enterprise? Yeah. Funny thing, um, because mm. you know the D, the D and TNG, it stands for Denterprise. Right. Right. That was right. that was the um, the dental class ship. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, I I know yeah. I know always knew that you were a creative person, but it seems like you're really taking things to the next level. Yeah, I'm I'm really trying to up my game. You know, participate in the community a little bit more. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's been a good fifteen twenty years since I released my my last fanfic to uh, you know much much um, much aplomb. Mm, mm, much yes. So where for where can people reading at home, uh, where can they find this? Is it fanfiction.net, deviantarts.com? It's fanfiction.net. It's, yeah, absolutely fanfiction.net. Um, you can go to um, www.thereadyourroom.com. Mm. Yeah, we'll have a link um, up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, so we, either of those, really. Yeah, we always have a bunch of links in our show notes on the website every week, and um, we'll make sure to get it in there this time. It's really yeah. worth checking out um, if you're a type that's a um, a voracious reader or somebody who's just feeling a little uh, randy. Um, there's a lot, lot to appreciate in, uh, in Brandon's stories. Yeah, well, thank you, Mitch. Well, thank you for writing them. Huh, of course. But today, you and I are writing our own story, a verbal story of mm-hmm. historical account and irreverent opinion about Star Trek. Oh my god. Wow. Wow. You know, I like Star Trek. It's okay. Yeah. 
That's it. Anyway, um, so this week we have a question of the week from one of our listeners who sent in a question to be answered on a weekly basis. And um, this one comes from Tyler in Tasmania. And Tyler asks, hey, hold on a second. I'm going to read this one more time. Okay, I'm going to read this exactly how it's written. And you can't blame me because this is just what was in the email. Okay. Uh, this might surprise you. Hey, Micho, Brandine, big fan, bigger ensign. I'm coming in with a hot question that's burning a hole in everyone's mind. What season of TNG is the best? Thanks, Space Lords. Brandine, huh? Yeah, I think that's um the, another name for an eggplant. So is it now? I believe so. I know that in other places, if you say eggplant, people will look at you a little funny. And uh, mm. I believe Brandine is the word. You call them Brandines. Well, right. it's it's funny because that's actually my name on the con circuit. That's my my alter ego, um, mm. Vulcan right. personality. Yeah. Um, which you know, I'm wondering if if Tyler is um, kind of kind of kind of an older fan. You know, he might be tipping his hat a bit about what he knows yeah. and uh, who where he's been. Right, so, right. I will say this: I have no explanation for Micho. That's a uh, that seems more like a personal shot at me more than anything else. <laughs> oh, maybe he fat fingered the keyboard. That's true. That's true. Um, you know, H and O are pretty close together for <laughs> fat fingers. Right. Although I will say, I think Space Lord is another franchise. I'm not quite Space sure. Space Lord. Mm. Isn't that Space the, Lord. um... Who's that That Christian guy who played with the Raptors and then went into space? What's his name? He was he was on, um... That Office. It was not The Office, but it was like The Office. It was like The Office? Yeah, it wasn't The Office, but it was like The Office. Like Parks and Rec? Yeah, yes, that's it. He was on that uh -huh. show, and then he was in the movie with the dinosaurs. And then he was in another movie where, oh, he, where he was right, in space. Oh, right, 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 right. That's, um, God, Guardians of the Universe? Masters right. of the Universe? And that was his character, Space Lord, right? It was Space Lord, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting a little that bit. That has of... nothing to do with Star Trek. No, it's a, some cross contamination of. That's um, weird. Of spacefaring series, but. Maybe he's so old that he's senile. You know, that it would explain a lot. Uh, hmm. Well. We're, we're getting there too, Mitch. Oh, no. Don't remind me. I don't, I don't want to be uh, calling people Micho and fat fingering half the length of my keyboard <laughs> or or space lord or space lord if i ever call somebody space lord and that's that's the canary in the coal mine you know i'm mm -hmm. uh i'm out of here i'll be sure to pull the plug mitch please please so i think that the best season of the of star trek the next generation is from the artistic point of view is pretty clearly season seven um mm -hmm. everything in the series until this point that point had been building up to it and season seven is to me where we as artists hit our creative stride there's a lot of 
interesting ideas and concepts running throughout that season. Um, things like the Wharf troy romance, the introduction of the supernatural in the Beverly Crusher sees a ghost story. Um, that one episode where Data and Picard are wearing these vaguely homosexual masquerade masks. Ah, uh, yes, yes. There was a lot going on where we finally had a mastery of Star Trek The Next Generation as a show. And having mastered the rules of that program, we were able to push the boundaries and push beyond that and explore mm -hmm. new, exciting, creative spaces. Right. And, you know, not all of those ideas will always necessarily land but it's better to to challenge the audience than it is to kind of give them exactly what they want every single week you know yeah definitely um i think by season seven we'd kind of mastered the art of having the show kind of turn around and look at itself in a meta way which was interesting indeed indeed and i understand why it might wasn't so popular with some fans who just you know wanted data to start defining words when he hears them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's just not how creativity works and i'm happy that right. we weren't held back by um a bunch of chuds that make up our audience yeah i mean some people just want to sit down and turn their brains off and and watch tv but um you know that's not what star trek is about no never has all. been never will be right you know, well, if you want that, you could watch like X Files or something. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say that the X Files does have a very spooky theme song. It does. It does. Yeah, I I've never felt comfortable with it. You ever like wake up from a nap and you left the TV on, and you mm -hmm. just you're you're in that delirious state of half awake, and mm -hmm. and maybe the X Files is starting the to come on and you hear the doo -doo 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 -doo, and right no yeah get scared even worse it's dark outside and right right um, like these these images flash through your mind of one of those gray aliens with a big head knocking on your door exactly now yeah that same thing might happen in star trek but it would be very silly because the the gray aliens it would, would, be. would um have some have exactly one unique cultural trait that you could identify right. immediately and feel right. comfortable with. And that that would be fixing the holodeck. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I I I've I don't know if I've told you this. I've been developing a theory in retrospect <laughs> that the entirety of um Federation life and culture and technological development revolves mm -hmm. entirely around the holodeck their holodecks as a concept. Okay, because they're certainly treated as if they are the the most important fixture of society. <laughs> yeah, they're they're always approached with this this um, unwarranted reverence, hmm. just amazement, um, even by people who have experienced them before. Right. Um, yeah, you know, to give you a preview, we see a little bit of that in this episode too. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's fantastic, and I my theory is such that the holodecks being the most important piece of technology in the the universe are the prime motivator for the conflicts we see throughout the show between 
for example, Romulans and the Federation. So mm -hmm. I don't believe we ever see the Romulans have holodeck technology. So while they have cloaking technology, their inability to have holodecks motivates them to um, come at the Federation. Now, okay. what's interesting about this is that later on, there's a third force to be contended with that's neither Romulan nor Federation. And I'm blanking on the Cardassians. That's it. There's the Cardassians. Like, like Kim? Like Kim. Um, and the others. But, they're, you know, the ones who abduct Picard in that one episode. They, yeah. they do have holodeck technology because there's one episode... Um, where Riker is abducted and put into a Cardassian right. holodeck to... Right. Yes. Now, given that, what is the motivation for the Cardassians and the Federation to be at war? I'm, I don't know. Um, you would think that with both of them having access to holodecks, they, they would live in harmony, but it's not the case. So this is a working theory, but it's, mm -hmm. it, it's my theory nonetheless. Yeah, well, to be fair, I guess we don't really know too much about how the Cardassian holodeck works. Mm. Uh, I mean, Riker was able to defeat it. He was, which so no to defeat the um, Federation holodeck, they needed its consent to be defeated in uh, last yeah. week's episode. Right, right, yeah. They um, it 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 became sentient and uh, um, I guess threatened to kill everyone. Yeah, which um, the Cardassian holodeck never did. So maybe they have the inferior holodeck and they want the more That's powerful. Th I think that would make the most sense. And I mean, think about it. You could use a holodeck to make an army. That's true. You know, just conjure them up and then suddenly make them real for no reason. Yeah. Either that or you somehow dupe the entirety of your opponent's army to enter your holodeck. Right. And, and then they're done. That's it, yeah. It's in it's unreal times we're living in, and this gives me some sense of stability. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Well, it's an interesting theory. Um, interested to see how it progresses. I'm going to pay oh, special attention to that. Rest assured, mm -hmm. and this yep, is uh, yep. this will be developed in tandem with the show. Yes, yes. We definitely won't forget about it next week. Definitely not. I've never forgotten anything, at least that I can remember. So, thank you, Tyler, for the question. And I hope that solved your confusion about the quality of art and television. Mm -hmm. But anyway, today we have a new episode to talk about um, from Season 2, which... If I recall correctly, it's the outrageous Okana. The outrageous Okana. I see that name, and I have to stop myself from pronouncing it incorrectly. I know. I always want to say Okona. Right. Which is very annoying, but... It's how the language works, really. Um, when when you look at that, you would you would think, yep, it's Okona. They, they could have spelled it O-K-A-N-A. Right, given that the those final two syllables have the same vowel sound. Yes, yes. It's could be just one of uh, those cases where there's a disconnect between the writer's inner voice and uh, the actor's interpretation of the line while reading it. Yeah, 
Yeah, that makes sense. Considering no one on no one on Star Trek can seem to to pronounce things correctly. Right. Well, the problem is that you know, whenever you tried to correct people about this, you always just got mercilessly bullied, no matter who you were. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it would be like, you know, what are you a nerd? Like exactly, exactly. Um, you know, sometimes Michael would tell us to stop acting white, which um, was know. very difficult to do for white people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is it is kind of our natural state. So, yeah. I don't know why he would be so aggressively racist. I think that. he was just always in character. Worf is a racist. That's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, this episode so yeah. is uh I, I don't even know how to describe it. I have all these thoughts and I'm just kind of uh I'm stuck right now, but to me, this is the one of the worst episodes that I've seen in the series so far. And that's including season 1. This is in the very bottom percentile. And Yeah. I don't think it's a competency issue, maybe like some of the other epi- bad episodes have, but instead it's just a complete um, nothing burger. There's just nothing going on in this episode at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of maybe disagree a little bit, um, just because I, I like the idea. I like the idea because you have so many episodes following this crew and um you know they're all very proper right Mm. um there's 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 a certain culture to the federation that this this okana guy brings something different to yes um you know he's he's a rebel he's a rogue that kind of thing and the idea of having a character like this um kind of get thrust into the the Enterprise crew's lives, I think, has the potential to be um, interesting and funny. And um, this episode was neither of those things. Yeah, that's... Um, the problem with the episode is not the character of, of Okana. That's mm-hmm. something you can work with in a number of ways. Because you're right, the contrast... There's a very real contrast between him and the and the Federation crew, the Enterprise crew, in any number of ways. But not only that, it's just a character that is fun to have on screen. Yes. So, you can do just about any story you wanted to with him. Apparently, almost any story, because if you did this story, it's just it's, it's nothing. <laughs> uh, and that's mostly because th- this story is so uh, small scale that there's just very little to happen and you have to dedicate so much screen time to perhaps the most offensive b plot i've ever seen i think i think that was really the nail in the coffin for this episode the the b plot took up too much time had no relation to anything going on outside of it and it was um it was completely worthless and honestly annoying yes the B plot had neither um, stakes nor a, a an arc or a or a story yeah, to yeah. it. Nor did it <laughs> right. have character development. If you wanted to take it the other way, it's about data, right. and data ends up more or less in the same place that he started. 
Mm-hmm. And yes, we don't get a conclusion to it at all. No, and I quite like data-centric stories. Um, yeah. So to me, it's very, very strange when something like this is put on the screen and I am just so checked out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it bothered me a lot that... Is, so, so here's the issue, is that these, these fish-out-of-water data stories, I guess, um, tend to work best, I think, when they're intertwined with a larger conflict that data is is just happens to be involved with right like data um, data is learning about human morality and in doing so he has to make an ethical choice about the yes. plot or some something yes with stakes and i i don't think my observation there is um you know a, at all um novel or anything like that I, I think think we've all kind of figured that out by now and mm. um to to pursue a data story like this is it's just so trite. It was trite and... by this point. You can't. Yeah. It's not even in retrospect. It's just having watched season one and the few episodes before it in season two. You yes. already feel that this is ground that we've covered because we have. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, we've, we've done the whole data force laughing at things and trying to understand jokes. And this just feels like 15 minutes of filler, which it is, it is. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, Um, it's embarrassing. And then, and we're, we're subjected to, to Joe Piscopo in Star Um, Trek of all places in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, who actually he did a lot of improv this episode, mm. uh, which I, I think maybe a lot of people don't don't know that. Um, but uh, you know, no one really found him funny. A shocker, I know. Yeah. Um, no, none of the crew found him funny, and this this turned out to be a pretty big issue during the first couple of days. Um, if you remember, he'd, he'd get up on stage to do his act, and um, a few minutes in, he realized no one was laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, you know, you just gradually start to get like red in the face, right? And he'd trip over his lines and um I mean ultimately it would just devolve into him like screaming at us, like spitting on us. Well, um, he was so he was frothing in his anger. Yeah, he was yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good way to put it. He was frothing, yeah. Um, you know, telling us that we have no idea what comedy is. Um and uh I mean it would it would devolve into him um kind of he would he would sit down on stage and just start hitting himself in the head. Um, you know, calling himself stupid, you know, he'd do the stupid, stupid, stupid. Right. Um and so yeah, needless to say, we uh <laughs> we eventually caught on and learned to laugh well, that's at the his thing. jokes. I, you might be thinking, having watched the episode, that oh, that was the influence for the end of the episode. Right, and right. That's that's Unfortunately, well, I don't know, unfortunately, but that's not actually the case. Um, it's just a nice coincidence that what Data ends up experiencing mirrored the real-life experiences of the comedian himself, which in a way makes this an incredibly um, deep script in how it mirrors real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you look at it from a meta point of view, it is... Um... 
it is pretty interesting except you know um I think I think Piscopo never really came to terms with the fact that he's not funny, whereas Data kind of does. That's true, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it realize it's not funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is true. Yeah, I, I uh, um, people try to make me realize that a lot. Oh come on! You know, they're fighting an uphill battle. Uh, it's mostly because I, I don't, there's very few things that I've realized in my life so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I've realized yeah, and this, most of the things you have realized are Trek related. This I was about to say. I realized this podcast from um, conception to reality, mm-hmm. and I think one time I realized that I left my oven on. Aside from that, I I don't come to much very many realizations, but. It's, okay. well, it's only a matter of time um, until we realize that this podcast is um, a terrible idea. Well, it, that's going to depend on the ensign. That is, that is, yes. As long as they keep the Patreon flowing, I can do any mm-hmm. amount of terrible ideas. Right. Buy the shirts. Hmm. Buy the shirts. Um, yeah, we didn't even talk about the shirts, but um, the, the One Riker, One Bridge shirts... Um, huge seller. We ran out of stock, and so sorry about um, sorry about that for everyone who's still trying to buy them. I think we're gonna get new stock in. God, um, next week, something like that. I know that we're 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 already in contact with the uh, the t-shirt company, but it's yeah. it takes some amount of time to get the printers going because there's a queue of other things but we'll keep you updated on it we have more mm. new shirts in on the way um if yeah. you watch this episode you might have heard the line when they first meet uh okana he's communicating with them over the the long distance radio whatever it is they use and mm. he says oh is that a woman i hear and that quote is actually going to be on the front of the shirt yeah and then on the back of the shirt it's going to be pregnant troy so look forward to that anyway there's something i wanted to talk about which i'm trying to remember what it was oh yeah it's the fucking plot this episode oh right (laughs) um this episode has the first in a in a planned series of um we called them our Shakespeare series of episodes, and if you're oh at, shit, that's right. If you're at all vaguely familiar with this episode, you know that this plot bears a strong resemblance to Romeo and Juliet, which mm-hmm. is a story about two feuding families that have um, star-crossed lovers of their young children, and uh, the consequences that of that are felt. Now. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here, I realize, especially for the Star Trek audience. So, Romeo and Juliet is a play that was written by Shakespeare. And if you don't Mm -hmm. know what that is, a play is a live production. It's kind of like a TV show, but instead of being on a screen, it's done live on a stage in a theater. And for yeah, anybody which, at home, which you buy tickets for, right, and, right, and you sit in the seats in front of the stage. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know, a theater is is a 
there's a live building, like an actual place that you go to to watch entertainment with other people around you. And, you know, for any Trek fans out there who might not know, um, people are, you know, human beings like you and I that comprise the society that you've probably opted out of if you're listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Right. So there's it's quite a, a layered idea. But, yeah, we had a whole series of these scripts planned. Um, I remember the one in particular where... Um, in the episode, Picard was going to die, and then Data would see Picard's ghost appear to him, and it would motivate this whole revenge plot, um, which is another one of Shakespeare's plays, if you're unfamiliar. Mm. And then by the end, you know, Picard would come back, and it would be this whole thing. Right. Uh, but our plans, they kind of got cut off by the writer's strike, and then also... Nobody was really comfortable with the with the iambic pentameter. It was very difficult for for our actors to to keep that meter up for yeah. it. Yeah, well, there there is a sophistication to it that um, you know is is definitely lost on Trek or at least um, the 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 cast of early TNG. Indeed, indeed. Um, I remember we tried to organize a a field trip for our principal cast to go see a shakespeare production and frakes just in in the audience he just kept loudly yawning throughout the entire uh yep. show um he i don't know where he got it but he brought in popcorn and was just kind of chucking it around the theater put his feet mm-hmm. up on the mm-hmm. seat it was a whole can't take him anywhere yeah patrick uh patrick wasn't happy with that no patrick's a, a I don't sophisticated think guy he, he likes his yeah shakespeare his yeah, yeah he, he can actually do it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, and I, you know, I, I remember marketing was particularly bummed about um, about dropping this idea because we were going to, um, we were going to release a, a, a limited VHS for the holiday season, mm. um, you know, just Star Trek TNG, the, the, the Shakespeare series. Right. Um. I I remember a few of us were really excited about that, and uh, you know, of course, it didn't, didn't take off. Uh, speaking of taking off, I remember we had some flying discs made with a picture of the Enterprise on them and the text "Wherefore art thou, Enterprise D?" Mm-hmm. But we couldn't really release those with once uh, the plans fell through. Yeah, it, it becomes kind of a non sequitur at that point. Exactly. So it's a shame. It I wonder where shame. those all are now. Had going back to what we were talking about earlier, had this been season seven, I think we would have been comfortable enough, and everybody would have been comfortable enough to, to make that happen. You know, in our more art house years, but in season yes. two, we didn't have nearly the level of sophistication by most of our uh, cast. Right, right. Yeah, they say that actors are creative people. Mm, nah. No, not really. No. They're, oh, they're 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 like dancers, you know, or models. They don't ha- they don't ha- they shouldn't, and they don't have any real input. You just tell them what to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, all the creativity tends to come down to people like you and me. Mm, mm. Uh, the, they're they're the ones. We are the ones who kind of save these productions. Exactly, exactly. So you, when people at home when they watch the credits of TV shows and movies, they 
look for the names in the big text, but you really have to wait two, three minutes after that to really see the the true heroes of production in the credits. Yeah, definitely. So, so. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's calm down by by talking about o Okana some more. Oh, I love talking about Okana. Yeah, that'll more. make you feel better. I, I, I'm feeling better already once we have a dedicated rogue to talk about. <laughs> um, so, Okana himself, um, played by Billy Campbell, who actually auditioned for Riker. You know, I could see um, that. And you yeah. know what? I'm just going to say it. That probably would have been a better choice. You think so? What does Frakes bring to the role? A beard? I don't know. A, a, little, a little more edge, I think. I don't really... It's so difficult for me to see Frakes as Riker, which is to say that he's just kind of there saying lines. I don't... Right. He's, he's not particularly... Um, charming or threatening or imposing, you know, whatever the scene calls for. He's just kind of an actor. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't I, think it would have been bad. Well, I no, I think it would have just been better, just straight up. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe maybe um, Jonathan Frakes is taller. I believe he's got that going. Yeah, down. I could see that. Well, so. I, I guess I guess you and I are gonna have different opinions on on Billy's performance this episode because um, I mean, and and of course he's he said this himself, but the the lines written for him were god awful. And Yo, that's he true. didn't he didn't do anything to make them not sound awkward, um, which I don't I don't blame him for per se, but it wasn't a very it wasn't a very good performance I think. Well, I agree that the dialogue around his character was very not good. However, um, given what he was written to be, which, again, a rogue, perhaps mm -hmm. a charming one, I could buy that just by the physicality of his performance before you even enter the, the, the dialogue. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. And that's what I really like about it. It's he's just very convincing in that sort of role. And right. Riker often takes on that kind of role in, in, in the scripts. You know, he's he's always the one seducing women, he's kind of in the in the mix of the social situations. And Right. Even with and... the the more brash nature of Riker, um mm -hmm. Okana in this episode he's I really like the moment where he's talking to Picard and um, they're kind of deciding what to do about the whole thing and he's like I'm just gonna leave the ship and Picard tells him oh you know they'll catch up to you they're, they're right there you're gonna die he's like well you know I'll worry about myself Picard I got this and it's it's a nice sincere it feels sincere as a show of confidence for you know this kind of arrogant competent but arrogant guy and that's exactly the, the the energy that Riker usually has. I don't know. I think it would have been a really good choice. 
Okay, yeah, I mean, you're kind of convincing me because it, it would have been a great foil to Picard as well to have mm. to have uh, Billy Campbell be his his first officer, right? Plus, he can make more faces than a half-cocked single eyebrow. Right. <laughs> the twitching eyelid. <laughs> yes, that's that is true. His his um, his range is certainly wider. Now we would have lost the trombone. Yes, which was integral. It was. To be fair. Um, A real but, uh, So, well, I don't know if I have anything else to say about Okana, really. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, his place in this episode or, or the performance or whatever. Well, um, here's the thing about his place in the episode. His inclusion in the plot, to me, is very strange. Uh, based on the fact that I don't quite understand why he had to be written into this episode. What does he bring to it? Because as it turns out, he's a complete, he's almost a complete non-actor in the actual story. Well, no, yeah, he's a plot device. Right. But it starts, the story starts and you think, oh, he's a fugitive, he's a criminal. When not really, he's not at all responsible for the the crimes he's being accused of, and yep. he doesn't do much to solve the problem that's presented. It's more of uh, by virtue of the Enterprise bringing these feuding parties together to reach a conclusion, and well, the the kids just kind of sort it out themselves once given the opportunity. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that's that's a good point, and I guess I guess I guess this character's existence kind of boils down to a weird kind of wish fulfillment. Yeah, um, I buy that. Whoever was writing this thought that um, they 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 were really placing themselves <laughs> into this role. You know, you have this character come aboard. He has sex with every woman on the Enterprise. Um, he he teaches data the the resident autist how to interact with people as as data kind of stands there and watches and make out with a woman um it's all <laughs> very uh yeah <laughs> it's 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 just very on the nose for sure well it's that's all due um to the origin of this and i think that the way you describe it it kind of feels like a child having a reverence for for his cool older brother um, mm -hmm. it's like wow yeah. he's 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 got a girlfriend and they're making out and he's you know when dad tells him to go to bed he just he doesn't he's like wow right right um which is kind of what happens with one of the writers who conceived the the character initially um when that writer was a kid himself he went to a star trek convention and his i guess his brother chaperoned him i don't know the story so well but mm -hmm. um what happened was that his brother, just who didn't give a shit about Star Trek, kind of was just with attending the convention by proxy and was just the coolest guy there. He didn't give a shit about Star Trek or the, the convention events or anything. He was just right. there to watch his younger brother and hit on women. And yeah, see, you know, like any normal person. Exactly. That's just what you do at conventions. And right. seeing somebody with no regard for Trek... Um, etiquette trick ticket mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was 
a dynamic that that writer wanted to explore and that's kind of what okana does he comes in and he's he's beholden to nothing uh, about the enterprise's culture or, or norms or mores right which is what makes him an interesting um aspect of this episode there's too many times where every single culture or character seems to operate on the same wavelength as the enterprise and that's just not very interesting Mm -hmm. so i think okana is the best part of this episode by a large large margin a large yeah yeah i mean okay i i can't really disagree with that um and I mean, it's 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 funny you bring up cons um, because I think I think a lot of people uh, it became obvious that uh, a lot of people thought the same way you do, um, and you know this this all kind of comes full circle where you know like four or five years after this episode aired, there was this huge huge increase in um, Okana cosplayers. Right. Um, you know, we, right? we were toying with the idea of advertising our own con for Okana Con. Uh huh. Yeah. To, to yes. you know, celebrate this culture. Right. Yeah. It became a huge thing. I mean, so you know, the the people on the regular con circuits, we called it the Billy Boom. Mm, mm. Uh, it's um. It it got to the point where basically every single Trek con was headlining contests to judge you know which Okana was the most outrageous. Um. Yeah. And I know you... You... Yo, go ahead. No, no, by all means. Well, I was going to say, I don't know if the, anyone in the audience has ever been to these kind of convention costume contests, but there's always um, a moment where the entrants will kind of you know, come up on stage, present their, their look to everybody, and it, it's a growing yes. culture where, where they will do like a very brief uh, bit of performance or strike a pose while they're up there, just something cool. Mm-hmm. And the, the Okana guys... And some of the Okana girls, you know, everybody was getting in on it. They really took that as an opportunity to showcase their rogue spirit, their their party spirit. And Certainly. it led to some really, really outrageous acts from like pushing over the podiums that were up there, like downing a bunch of alcohol on stage, or you know, yep. anything that you would think a rogue would do, they did it in hopes of kind of securing their the, the victory of the Okana cosplay contest. We uh we we had a couple of people just take their costume off entirely once mm. they got up there. They um, I remember tons of people brought up um partners cosplaying as that one ensign working the the teleporter, the transporter. Right. And they would right. just make out oh, of god. There. Yeah. Yeah, those those got a little um a little dicey sometimes. Well, you really started to feel like Data in that moment where you're just watching this this bizarrely intimate moment unfold and you just feel kind of uncomfortable because you don't get it because, you know, human emotion and romance elude you. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- that is that is probably the, the typical experience as a Trek con goer. But, um, you know, when it comes to the, the costume, actually, you know, like just as an interesting little tidbit here, because... Because this character was so popular, um, Okana's vest became probably the most sought-after uh, uh, Star Trek outfit, right? Mm. Star Trek costume. 
um, and and a huge black market kind of opened for um, you know fake reproductions of this thing. And you know to this day we still don't know where the original article is. Um, it's it's kind of become the the stuff of legend, really. Could... And I think that yeah. No, go ahead. I I just I just think that um, that really does speak to how much people love this character. Indeed, and it's funny because the the true the true thing could be right in front of us, and we would never know it if yes someone just wore it to the convention. How would we distinguish it from all of the reproductions that are out there? We it's impossible. right. Yeah, I mean it's it's at the point where you just assume it's fake. It has to be right. so. Um, you know, anyone could have it at this point. I don't think we're ever going to find it. No. Um, we have our top men looking, but... Yeah. Very unlikely. And our bottom men. Indeed. They they make good teams together. But, um... <laughs> Okana is actually going to be back. Um, Billy Campbell is going to be back in that, uh, that new Star Trek show for children. Um, Picard? Um, no, the other one for children. Um... Star baby, Trek baby Picard? Prodigy. <laughs> Star Trek Prodigy. He's he's gonna be making an appearance in that. Ah, okay. So, now yeah. he doesn't strike me as a um a very child friendly character, because it seems as though a lot of what he is good for is fornicating. Yes. Well, maybe we'll see that he's kind of evolved, you know, as a person, um, because he's old now. Mm. You know? old and in the way yeah 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 you know you, you lose all of your sexual market value once you hit like 50 or so very sad I think. yeah yeah i mean that didn't happen to us but no for most people it does sometimes you age like wine and sometimes you age like bad wine yep yep that is what they say mm, mm. um so well, be sure to I guess... tune into Star Trek Babies to see how um, sexually alluring uh, <laughs> Okana still is. Um, yeah, I, I guess if we're done with Okana uh, for the time being... Um, Are we? We should... Well, I don't know. Do you have anything more to say about him right now? No, because nothing happens with Okana. In this episode. Right, exactly. So I, I think I want to move... Um, move over to the B plot for a little bit here. I hate the B plot. This is the worst. This is the most insulting thing to my intelligence that I've ever experienced thus far yeah. in Star yeah. Trek. I'm. I was so angry watching this. I, I I sent you a message while I was watching this episode that, in retrospect, is kind of esoteric, but it it perfectly encapsulates how I felt in the moment. Where I, mm -hmm. I I felt like I I was trapped in this episode. It was just <laughs> an ongoing mess where I'm somehow halfway into it, but it feels like I'm a minute into it because so little has happened, and surely right. there must be another hour's worth of content to deliver any kind of story. And it yep. plays with your perception of time and reality and space, and it's yeah, so bad. It's so bad, and it's. Where does it start? It starts with um, Data and um, Whoopi Goldberg. What is her name? Guinan. Guinan, that's right. And talking about humor? 
and Data realizes he doesn't know what's funny, or maybe he's well, in the So that's, that's not where it starts. Okana, Okana starts it. Yes. No, I feel like there's something before that. Not with Guinan, you're right, but on the bridge, I feel like it's precipitated by some exchange there. And then I don't think it is. I think Okana literally just says, oh, you don't understand jokes? What are you, some kind of robot? <laughs> what are you, autistic? And they just, it does um, not compute. Does not compute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like a <laughs> like a lost in space robot. He stands there just like kind of, um, you know, moving his C-3PO arms up and down. And yeah. I hope. Um, yes. It's just so the audience at home knows that's exactly the movement I was doing. To, to reinforce that joke <laughs> we're all on the same wavelength here um but speaking of moving arms um there's oh, something that this does a lot this episode oh I, um, okay okay i i love that <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i really did yeah that like gesticulating with the cigar right, right. i don't know why i thought that was so funny but but i did it's funny it's funny. It's 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 some nice kind of visual comedy. It is. Um, which kind of, um, I mean, it's it's the only funny thing that really happens. Yeah, I I, I buy that. But there's, it's inter- It's I'm thinking about it now. I don't think about anything until we start recording. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to me. The the quality of the humor itself, obviously as a story, it fails completely because nothing happens and there's no stakes or development. But if I were to just evaluate this and think, well, are there enjoyable comedic moments? I think there kind of are. It's like mm. that I enjoy, for example, Data goes... After he first goes to actually goes to the holodeck, he tries to learn about comedy. Then he goes to Guinan and tend forward and tests out his material, and that's when he starts like doing that thing. And that whole sequence I kind of enjoyed. Sure, sure. Um, I I took umbrage with, and this may be getting a little bit off topic, but we can bring it back around. Um, I took umbrage with, you know, kind of my favorite thing to complain about. Where Data looks up who the funniest comedian is. Oh, and he finds he lands he lands on a twenty third century comedian, and I'm like, oh, great, awesome. And then you know, of course, um, he decides to go with a twentieth century comedian, namely Joe Piscopo. Which you know, of course, but when you really think about it, comedy evolves so quickly. Um, Mm. there's no way someone in the 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 time that Star Trek: The Next Generation is set, there's no way that someone would find '80s comedy to be funny. Here's, and you know, yeah. on top of that, Guinan has to have probably the most fucked up sense of humor of all time. I mean, when you think about it, you know, given given everything she knows and how much she's privy to, right? The humor is contextual, right? And yeah. What is what is Guinan's context for for finding things funny? For an right, it's it's got to be something we can't even begin to understand. Yeah, there's a lot to say about this this whole thing. So that's something. Two, the idea that 
the reason Data rejects the 23rd century comic is because their comedy <laughs> is inherently based on, I think it was Quantum Mechanics. Yes. Which is such a stupid concept when you think about it. Yep. It, the idea that, oh, it's the future, so everybody's leisure time is intrinsically yes. entwined with um, high-level science. Right, right, definitely. Yeah, that, that pissed me off, too. It's just dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, um, so, I mean... So... Uh, the Guinan being a pizza ruiner? A pizza ruiner. Yes, she says, I'm annoyed. Oh... Which I don't... Data took some time to understand that joke. And I'm kind of with him. If the idea is that Noid is short for humanoid. Yes. Like, I, what, I did not find that... What the hell? At all obvious. Or funny, of course. No, definitely not. Uh, you know, so I don't blame Data for not laughing at that. That's for sure. I'm annoyed. And y um, you know it's a great joke when they had to explain it. Not, I mean, for data, but by proxy for the audience. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so this, this, this all culminates in data standing up on a holodeck stage, doing a, a comedy routine, which, uh, um, is is entirely disjointed as as, you know, the the fake crowd laughs um, at him, like raising his hands or whatever. Yes. Um. I'm not sure if we're supposed to find it funny. I don't... We initially wrote a lot of, you know, actually humorous jokes for that sequence. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Obviously, there's a lot of editing that goes on in um, television. But the idea was that... We would kind of make a, a lot of jokes the audience are familiar with, put a Trek bent on them, and make it a little funnier, Data would have an overtly comedic set and kind of feel a success. And the tone of that changed, but um, we still have a lot of cut footage of Data just doing a stand-up set. Now what I did was mm -hmm. I went and I tracked this down and I wrote down some of the jokes because God knows I didn't remember them. But um, <laughs> I, I'll do my own set for you. And uh, All right. let's see if I can... If I can get a reaction. Alright. I just flew in from the neutral zone, and boy, are my arms tired. Oh. Alright, when is a transporter not a transporter? When it's a jar. Alright, maybe that one's not so good. Um, <laughs> why did the Ferengi cross the road? To make a sail on the other side. Oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, we all appreciate some race-based humor. Mm, mm, mm. There was a whole extended who's in the holodeck routine uh, between Data and Worf, who we would have recruited oh. to help him. Uh, all right. This one's pretty good. Uh, what's the difference between a Klingon warrior and my wife? A Klingon warrior dies with honor. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that one seals it. That's a great one. The problem, relatable. It, relatable. I think the problem was that you know, with the audience laughing, like the actual television audience, it's very difficult to have data learn any 
lesson, so to speak. So it, once the director had kind of chosen the tone he wanted, an overtly hilarious stand-up set like this wouldn't have wouldn't have flown. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but if you get the DVD I, or the Blu-ray, you, you should be able to see this footage. There's... Oh, really? There's there, It's on the extras? I think so. Huh. I don't remember any of this. Well, um, hmm. I wanted to point out some... Um, well, a kind of transphobic line. Yes, I remember this. Um, Tip O'Neill in a dress? Yes. What's up with that? It's, it's, it's strange to me, because not only is that incredibly transphobic but it's a very dated joke and it's dated partly because it you know it's ins insensitivity but also mm -hmm. you know you show that to a young truck fan today they don't know tip o'neill <laughs> yeah definitely and yeah you know what you're right there's a lot surrounding this b plot that is completely lost to time um, you, you know, if if you want to experience it in context, mm. there's I mean, no there's no one who's going to be watching it these days who 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 even knows who Joe Piscopo is. That's the thing when he shows up, your your reaction is that this looks like a pastiche of a comedian rather yes. than an actual funny successful comedian, and you right. you don't know if. Data's kind of getting bad information. Like this holodeck <laughs> gave him a, a hack comedian. Right, right. And, you know, that's that's half of the joke, I guess, to begin with, is the presence of an actual comedian in this episode. I mean, it's the meta aspect of it that um, is a lot of the reason it doesn't work. Mm. Now, is this the first instance of the holodeck being used to um, shuttle in a celebrity guest. I think so. Because this happens later on. We had Stephen Hawking on the show, for example. Right. But I believe... Yes. I believe this is the first time. It is the first time. Huh. Well, I could have done without it. Yeah, definitely. Not, not just because the quality of the story, like let's say this is reworked to better fit the plot and it's not extremely irrelevant. I still don't think it's you gain all that much by having a uh, just a random celebrity cameo for no reason. No, definitely not. And I, you know, especially with celebrity and scare quotes. You know what would have been a good line if um, Data is configuring the holodeck and it loads up Joe Piscopo and Data gets this this wry smirk on his face and he's like, you know, comedy and mullets seldom go together. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a good line. Uh, I agree. That that should have been in the script. <laughs> um so so while Data is is um is learning how to be funny. Um, a lifelong we, we have, endeavor. We we have Okana gallivanting around the ship, 
sleeping with every woman um which they make and... a point to point out oh yeah several times uh, uh, okana has been spotted in three different quarters and then they just find him immediately yes yes oh yeah yeah Worf goes to pick him up and he's making out with uh with with some female crew member some floozy and uh actually here's something a lot of people miss with that scene it's it's something that threw me off when we were re-watching this um so when Worf goes to grab okana and take him to the bridge right um you know he 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 goes to to that female crew member's room. Um, Okana's in there, like trying to make out with her, and um, you know, Worf's like, "You're you're coming with me, right?" Mm. Um, and Okana walks up to him, kind of squares up. Um, you know, things are about to get heated, confrontational, right? Um, and 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 Worf replies, "I'd like that." Yeah, um, it... Okana gives him a meaningful look, and and Worf just says, "I'd like that." It's weird because it feels like a line of dialogue is missing it yes yes and wouldn't you know a line of dialogue is missing um this was completely changed in editing actually because uh, bill had a line right before michael's where okana was meant to proposition Worf for a threesome um and then of course Worf would say i'd like that um for whatever reason this this line got cut and i guess now we're just supposed to like infer this um i think as the, as as an audience the overt interracial homosexuality was a little bit too much for the time yes and i i was actually gonna kind of posit the same thing in that i mean clearly you can already see from from tip o'neill and addressed um we we were not exactly lgbtq friendly no at no. this point, or at least not as much as we would have liked to say we were. Well, we we were L friendly. So, yeah, yeah, we're still pretty L friendly, right? But everything else was a bridge too far. Right, right. Um, yes, and of course, as you said, especially when it was interracial. Exactly. So it, it was it was just kind of the the right combination of all the wrong things there. So, so which is a shame. Here's a question. Mm -hmm. Here's a little something for you. So, Worf, as we see in Season 1 episode, where that Q episode where Riker becomes a Q-like guy, the Klingon uh, experience of sex is very different from what humans might know. Remember there was mm -hmm. that battle scene on, on the bridge? Yep. And with that in mind, how would Worf approach a threesome with two, two humans? Would hmm. would he try to to take them on two on one in a in a battle? Um, is that how he has sex with Troy later on in the series? Yeah, I mean, I think there is an element, right, of of physical conquest. Right, right. You have to beat them up first. Worf, you know, for Klingons, they they have to fight back, but ultimately fail. Mm -hmm. Yes, but yes, yes. Which, you know, we caught a lot of flack for when people perceived it as, you know, rape apologetics. But mm -hmm. it's not, it's a different culture and it's not something that we can judge by our culture's standards. Right, right. You know, morality is subjective. Exactly. Um, it always has been, it always will be. You know, you, you can't say, I mean, even in real life, you can't look at a, a different culture and say, 
Uh, well, you know, they they um, sacrifice young women to the sun god, so so they must be bad. I mean, no, it just doesn't work. No, you know, you ha- it's if they're gonna respect our culture, we have to respect theirs. Right. So, you know, we we were really kind of doing the legwork with with Worf, especially in terms of um, kind of building up cultural and religious tolerance in real life. Mm. Um, now, which especially is a, with Muslims, it's an interesting challenge because you know Alexander Worf's son, Worf's half Klingon son, is eventually introduced. You know, he's mm-hmm. full Klingon, I think. Well, he's full Klingon. Worf's son. He might be a quarter Klingon or a quarter human. Interesting. No quarter. So, what's the the struggle of those two characters has always been alexander accepting his his ancestry and his father's traditions Mm -hmm. where we're breaching the subject of religious and cultural acceptance and uh bridging bridging cultures with Worf, only for it to be kind of undercut by his own son who doesn't want to partake in klingon uh tradition of various kinds yeah so it's a very interesting concept, I believe. It definitely is. It's definitely something that I think was one of the more worthwhile things we explored. Trek has a lot of opportunities for that, for those more heady things, but they kind of come in the unlikeliest of, of places. Nobody looks yeah. at Worf and think, thinks, yeah, this is going to be the the character through which sensitive cultural topics are are covered you know they look at they look at wharf and they think oh they let a black man on television so it's (laughs) right right it's always surprising where you get these things Mm -hmm. yeah it it definitely is and and i mean we were really good at kind of subverting expectations Mm. uh, pretty consistently so um yeah um so the the end of this episode i'm trying to think or i guess the final 10 15 minutes of it i guess we should talk about what the conflict is because we mentioned it being vaguely romeo and juliet-esque juliesque yeah yeah so there's yeah juliet okana is a fugitive wanted by two distinct um entities both of them living on neighboring planets they're both humanoid races and one of them insists that Okana impregnated his daughter and, you know, destroying her honor and his family's honor. And thus he yes, must marry yes. her to preserve it. And <laughs> a little anachronistic, huh? Yeah, it's a pretty old timey concept. You know, my daughter's chastity. I have to I have to protect it. Yeah, pretty misogynistic. It was almost cut from the script, but I think Frakes. Uh, convinced us to keep it in by virtue of you know ha- finally having an a relatable antagonist for the, one of the stories uh, yes which yes. made sense most of our antagonists are like skin of evil nothing to to latch on to right right i mean i think we all can kind of relate to i mean it's it's a timeless issue you know right. having your daughter impregnated by um a rogue y- y- yeah, a rogue, uh, an unmentionable, right. um, you know, and then just having them kind of leave. Yeah. Eat, yeah. shoots, and leaves. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that is what they do. That's one half of the of the parties. The other half is a man and his son whose fair, uh, family heirloom, uh, a crown jewel, was supposedly stolen by Okana. And Okana, having been picked up by the Enterprise, is now under their custody, and the Enterprise has to decide what to do. Do they release him? Do they release him to only one of these? Uh, people who both want to prosecute him for different reasons. Mm-hmm. What happens? And Okana insists on his innocence throughout all this. He didn't do either of those things. Um, and that's basically it. And then the, the conclusion happens. Yeah. Um, the the conclusion being that it was actually the two kids all along. And it, um, scare quotes around the the word kids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, unlike Romeo and Juliet, um, they basically solve generations of conflict by falling in love with each other. Right. There's no. It's, it is not a tragic story. It is right. A um, blithely hopeful and optimistic story. Who knew? Who knew that the conflict between these two planets could be solved by uh, two two kids marrying each other? Teen pregnancy. Um. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then, then the fathers are, are standing behind them saying, no, you live on my planet. I'm um, kind of bickering like, like uh, you know, in-laws. Right. A complete 180 from the utter disgust they felt for, for one another uh, ten minutes ago. Yeah, and almost apropos of nothing. Apropos of nothing. Now... It's worth mentioning that the the feud between these planets is set up to be so big that for those two teens, kids to even see each other, Okana has to smuggle one of them into the other's planet. It's so difficult yeah. to, to get between them. Like, the hate is so strong. And then, you know, you get knocked up and nobody cares about that anymore. Generations <laughs> of, of in, interplanet strife. <laughs> um yeah i mean it's important women are important indeed children um are the future yes yes they are now it's, um, it's weird to me that um okana his solution is to take the blame for all this to protect the the the, the kids from the consequences of their actions so he's like I impregnated her. And it's this weird, weird thing, weird dynamic to have like a, a soon to be married couple, some other guy insisting that he had sex with the wife. Mm-hmm. And the reactions to this are kind of all over the place where <laughs> she's like, yes, he did have sex with me. Yes. He is the father. And you would think that this would be something that just for the the couple that they could not abide by that they would right just be much more principled than that and the guy is he's he sticks up he's like no i you didn't stick your penis into her i did it's mm-hmm. me i did this but the 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 wife who's vaguely angry with her fiance right uh just tries to go by that story of okana being the father she she's she's ready to hop right on okana yeah which doesn't bode well for their future. It certainly doesn't. Yeah, it was it was it was just a 
it felt like a little bit more than corroborating a story for the sake of, you know, saving lives. Right. And more like she actually wanted O'Connor all along. What were the Which is understandable. He's well, O'Connor. He is O'Connor. What were the stakes, though? Let's say that everything is just discovered. Uh, the two fathers find out about this illicit relationship. What's even going to happen? What's well, you know, the, st- the stakes, I think, were implied to be that, you know, the the guy with the daughter, he would find it to be a dishonor. Um, you know, go to war with, with the, the guy who has the son. Well, here's the thing, though. His solution to his daughter being deflowered is to get this rogue um, mercenary type guy to just marry his daughter. Yeah, but at least at least Okana is not, you know, the the family of the planet that you've hated for so long. Yeah, but I assume that a lot of the motivation here is is coming from uh, saving face in society and and stations within sure. that society. So sure, to have okay, my daughter's marrying this space outlaw guy seems also like a non-starter for somebody who would you know uphold their their honor like this whereas okay well my daughter's gonna marry a nobleman um seems a bit more palatable i i don't know it just it doesn't well yeah sure it just doesn't feel like a very consequential story to begin with that when it gets solved there's no relief because what what even was (laughs) there's no tension yeah Yeah, exactly the 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 potential consequences are not laid bare well enough or really at all so yes i do agree with you in fact it's more or less just silly there's it's presented as being a an annoyance that the enterprise crew even has to deal with this they bring up both of the parties on the the view screen at the same time and they're arguing amongst themselves and Picard's like i don't give a shit just mute mute the call right uh, right right and they they expressly make a point to tell you that their ships can't do anything to the enterprise right no tension (laughs) absolutely zero tension it's very weird i thought it was going to go in a way where the enterprise would have to deal with like do do we kill these guys i mean where's we just obliterate them Um, right that would make sense and instead there was nothing there's nothing yeah you're right it is silly um i don't know it, it it is just a nothing episode when it comes down to it. A nothing burger, as I a nothing burger, as I started Sorry. out saying. I, I I misused your terminology. That's okay. That's okay. You know what a nothing burger is? It's it's a two, burger made of nothing. Well, it's two buns with nothing in between. Uh. Mm. So we've got two buns with nothing in between for this episode. Right. It's it's a it's a. That's how I would describe an ass. And this episode is ass. Ah. Yeah, it sucks. Um, but the unfortunate thing is, is that I I would almost recommend people watch it. Yeah? Just what? for Okana. I mean, it's nice to be in the, the cultural know amongst the, the Star Trek fandom about who Okana is and what's the deal there. And it is, he is an enjoyable character, but... You know, we're all going to die one day, and 40 minutes is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. It's just, I, I don't, 
I feel like it's so it's such a such a integral part of Trek culture to to hate on this episode that you're missing out by not watching it. I mean, I guess I can buy that. Assuming you're you're gonna get some amount of um, joy the riffing on this with your friends after the fact, or right. you know, randos on uh, Twitter, whatever, wherever you it's, get your it's Trek bad. discourse. It's bad, but it's not quite boring. It is boring to a degree, but it's not not as bad as I think some other episodes have been in that in that vein. You know what? I think you're right, and I think that. While I don't think it's a good episode, my uh, over the course of our discussion, my opinion has risen a little bit where I'm not putting mm-hmm. it at the very bottom of the list. Yeah. Um, for, for whatever good that is. But, <laughs> yes, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I will never watch this episode again. But given, If you can help it. If, well, if I can help it, uh, you know. How many times have I said that about episodes we've already rewatched for this podcast? <laughs> um, but where was I going with that? Oh yeah, the fact that there are at least one or two moments that, or elements that I regard fondly in retrospect mean intrinsically means it can't be the worst. Can't be the worst, right? I particularly enjoyed this line from Data where he says, if you put funny teeth in your mouth and jump around like an idiot, that is considered funny. <laughs> I thought that was cute. That's, um, that is pretty funny. Let, let me ask you this. How do you feel about Take My Wharf, please? Yes, that was, I mean, what what can I say? It's probably the funniest line in the episode. Were you like me, which is to say non-catatonic, and as soon as they <laughs> introduced the the son, the daughter and the son of the two uh, feuding parties that you instantly knew exactly what was going to happen for the rest of the episode? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's very, very obvious. I mean, setting aside the fact that we kind of new to begin with since you know yes we worked on it all those years ago you do forget things to be fair well i'm that's what i'm, so, I'm hearkening back to that time you know oh okay yeah. oh i see i see i see okay during yes okay yeah well, absolutely re- yeah you know yes we're working production but everybody has that moment where you flip through the script for the first time and, right uh, yes yeah. that's true that's true yeah so i yes i i totally agree with that um it's it's very very obvious what they're doing. I um thought that in this episode, Riker and Picard have various moments of being oddly arrogant for for no reason. <laughs> like they they are very clearly above these entire these people's entire lives. Uh-huh. And something that is of grave importance to them, they just have no um Riker and Picard have no care for. They, oh, right. They just because come they're across, like technologically inferior. Right, right. They just come across as like gods to these ants, and they're like, "I guess right. I'll indulge your time." Totally, totally. Whatever. Yeah, that's a little weird. It's happened. Although I don't, I don't think it was that bad. It wasn't that bad, but the attitude has happened um, close uh, in the, these first few seasons a few times. 
And yes. it's, it's just annoying to watch, I think. I don't like seeing mm-hmm. these characters act so out of character. Uh, I agree. For how I know them. It's not... It It's never com- a bit of comedy to me. It's always... It takes me out of things more than anything else. Yes. Yep, I have to agree with that one. Um, we didn't get any Pulaski this episode. No, no, not everybody could be in every episode, unfortunately. But, you know, it takes it takes them so long to get Gates into the makeup. Yeah. You, you can't do that yeah. every time, every day. No, no, that, that would have been... She needed a break, that's for sure. Any closing thoughts on this episode? Well, I think we've said it all. Hmm. Boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> um, I do have a question for you this week, though. I'm in. I'm in. All right. So I'll be reading from the script. Okay. Like our true actor. This is a description of a character in this episode, and you're going to tell me who it is. Okay. Good, good Lord. So here's the description. Everything she has two of are perfectly matched coordinated and move with a wonderful grace that is called woman <laughs> did Barry Manilow write this <laughs> wait every, okay say that one more time okay everything she has two of are perfectly matched coordinated and move with a wonderful grace that is called woman this is astounding to me <laughs> let me think who are the women in this episode? There, um, I, I, I instantly the dark horse pick is coming to my mind, and I'm like, is this Guinan? There's no way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I that would certainly be the funniest answer. It would be, but I don't think it's true. And I think the obvious answer is the the daughter character. That's I don't. First of all, I can't think of anybody who has two of anything that are coordinated but if i were to think of who who they would try to write something flowery for i would think uh-huh. it was her no right no you know what because we see the inside of that transporter ensign's room that maybe mm. there's an opportunity to to see her coordination of two things her noah's right. ark i i'm gonna say it's that um ensign that that um okana hits on as soon as he gets into the transporter room the transporter room girl yeah that is correct yes that is correct (laughs) that is uh bg robinson um the transporter girl fun fact uh her interests include surrealist paintings hang gliding and mystery hollow programs is everybody in this universe interested in mystery hollow programs (laughs) Has that overtaken the internet as the primary form of entertainment? It's it's the it's the big thing. Unreal. I'm I'm kind of angry about that. To be honest. <laughs> it's well, over. I mean, congratulations for yeah, getting it right. It's overriding my joy of of answering that correctly. That was yeah. um, now that was some deductive reasoning. Yes, that that could have been a mystery hollow program in itself, <laughs> and you were you were the uh, the pro. Oh my god. Oh my god. I'm feeling, I'm riding the high. I'm gonna carry mm-hmm. the streak forward. 
it's always the highlight of my week when I get one of these right, and it's always a uh, crushing blow to my already dire self-esteem when I get one of them wrong. Well, you can sleep tight this week. Yes, I don't have to, to you know, go lay in bed tonight and be like, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pull a, pull a Joe Piscopo. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's going to be it for this episode of The Readier Room. Uh, you can join us next week when we talk about more Star Trek if you want. And if you don't want to, maybe you can do something more fulfilling with your life. But until then, everybody, please stay ready. The Troublesome Little Man Child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. beginning, 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 beginning.